and welcome to the introductory episode of Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hey there. I'm so excited to be starting this project with you and getting to share it with everybody listening. So yeah, hey, you listeners, if you're new to the show, this is a great place to start. However far along we are in recording and sharing these things, this is where we hope you'll begin. So we can tell you a little bit about the translation project, our motivations and hopes for it, some of the things that were done differently here, and maybe a bit of why they were done differently, and then a little bit about each of us. And you know, actually, let's start, let's start with that last one. Brandon, I think everybody would love a chance to know a little bit more about you. Yeah, thanks, Brandon, which is going to be fun. The Brandon's back and forth. Mm-hmm. This, Yeah, let's see. What should I say about myself? It's always a weird part of these kinds of things. Well, you introduced me as the translator. So I can say a little bit about how that's even a thing. I, I did get a I major, double majored in, in college in biblical studies and biblical languages. Biblical, I don't know. Should you trust me with language at this point? And then I continued that in a master's program in divinity that spent more time in the languages. It's something that fascinated me through that. Really enjoyed digging into both Greek and Hebrew. I never actually did any Aramaic. For those of you who know that there's a little bit of Aramaic in there too, but but I really enjoy Greek in particular. Mm-hmm. It, it made sense to me, but I haven't used it for a long time until working on this project again. So dusting off some of my old textbooks and, and tools that I use and it's been fun. But I started to, based on, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about this, but for because of my family, with my, my kids. So I, I have two kids, a, a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and both girls and my wife and, and the two of them live here in Portland, which is my home. And I love it here. It's green and it's the best because it's so green. Awesome. Yeah, I almost live in Portland. I lived there for 15 years. I'm now about an hour south down in Salem, Oregon. Like the other Brandon, I've got some seminary under my belt, emphasizing more intercultural studies. So the work of bridging gaps and then semiotics, which is a really weird angle to take in in a seminary, but it was really enriching because it's the work of conveying and exploring and just really discovering the presence and work of the divine and conveying it in such a way that draws others into it. So yeah, that's a bit of kind of the stuff I've nerded out on over the years. Uh, Done that through uh, church planting and working for some nonprofits as well. But yeah, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm showing up here as an amateur. I'm into the Bible. I find it to be a fascinating book. I suppose I should say I grew up, well, if you couldn't figure it out from I love the Bible, people who grow up evangelical either say I love the Bible or I friggin' hate the Bible. It's been a messy and complicated relationship, but I come back to it with a sense of curiosity and gratitude and increase, I suppose, intellectual and personal honesty about how I live within a tradition that has 
these stories and letters as as a vital conversation partner in that tradition. Yeah, I, I love the I love the Bible, and if you're evangelical or grew up evangelical, you love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. I, I have always loved it too, but my relationship has changed. Like mm-hmm. exactly how I related to it has changed quite a bit over time with lots of different influences, and and I get what you're saying there. It makes perfect sense to me, and yeah, at this point, I'm I'm coming through it as like a a partner in wisdom, I guess, exploring. Mm-hmm with scripture and conversation in ways that that helps me explore what it means to be a human i guess mm-hmm. which fits with my with my current career like so i got all that education in, in ministry that i haven't used directly since then and now you haven't been, now you haven't been paid to yeah, use them yeah. right yeah not as not as my job uh now my job is counseling mental health therapy specializing in relationships and anxiety and trauma so yeah, what it means to be human. Uh, and I think they fit together pretty well, just like some of the stuff that you studied, culture and yeah. making meaning or finding meaning. And it's a good, co- they're good conversation partners with this. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the this. So you are working your way through the Christian scriptures. You began with Matthew, that's what this first season of the show is going to be about, is working our way through your translation of the book of Matthew. And mm-hmm. your, your goal is to get through the whole, the entirety of the Christian scriptures that's often called the New Testament. Can you walk everybody through why you decided to do this? It's a substantial yeah. undertaking. Yeah. Well, honestly, it was because I wanted to read the Bible to my kids and know myself well enough that with everything that I've learned over the years, both in school and elsewhere, that I would be stopping every couple of sentences to say, well, this word says this, or this phrase is like this, but I, but really what that really means is this, this other thing that you can't see because you don't know the original languages and these people, there's a tradition that pushes it in this direction. And I think that's not faithful to the original, what it really means. And I can just imagine being my seven-year-old sitting with dad in those conversations and being bored to tears with, you know, she doesn't have all this baggage. She doesn't have a, like, she just, just read to me, dad, come on, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but it, but the differences to me are really important. I think it changes things significantly enough that I, I would not be a responsible parent, I think, if I didn't help her understand what I think is true. And I could be wrong, and that's okay. And, I'll, you know, and I plan to teach my kids that way, where like, yeah, like this is my starting point, and you don't have to stay there. Like You explore too, but I at least want to be pointing them the best of my ability in the right direction in what I think is the, the closest to the right direction as I can get. Yeah. And then having recently graduated from my counseling master's program and then being in the middle of a pandemic and there's not a ton of other things to do is a great time to start. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's striking about this is, you know, you're not, you're not trying to get rid of anything that you don't believe you're not trying to, 
conform it to modern beliefs about miracles or science mm. or politics. Yeah, this is or, not the quest for the historical Jesus. That's not what this is. It, and yeah. it's not, it's not like Thomas, yeah, Thomas Jefferson, you know, he uh, took scissors to his Bible and snipped out all the miraculous because that was all just, you know, bygone pre-modern superstition. And so he's, he, you're not trying to do anything like that. Any, any raised eyebrows you may personally have about any anything going on in these books that's not your motivation it's really mm-hmm. what are the what are the translation decisions that other people made in dominant typical readings and tr- translations that may actually at this point be obstacles to how your daughters are reading the text mm-hmm. that's, that's really a world of difference yeah, I do want it to be in harmony with how the original audience would have heard it, which is sometimes going to be different than how I understand it. And that's okay. I'm not trying to rewrite it how I want it to be. I am really trying to rewrite it, if that's the right, to retranslate it yeah. To, yeah. To, be, to be genuine with what I think it really says, which is sometimes uncomfortable because I don't always like what it really <laughs> says, but... Yeah. And, you know, one of the one of the conceits that I think can often come to the text when people think about the Bible in different translations, what's the best? What's the correct translation? Yeah. Which I mean, something to say here in the introductory episode is neither of us believe there's a correct translation. Right. Certainly not this one. And not because it's bad. I I like it. I think it's good. I'm trying really hard and I'm checking with comparing it to other translations and checking my reference books and stuff. But that's not how translation works, not just with the Bible, but with anything. There isn't a one-to-one exactly correct way to do that. It does. That's, that's not how languages are. They're not codes to be decoded. There's nuance and there's understanding. There's even reading notes of other translators and committees that like, for instance, the word that gets translated as wilderness to refer to like where Jesus went for 40 days and fasted after he's baptized. And I think it was the ESV. I don't remember what translation. I think it was ESV, but I don't remember for sure. There's a, there's a whole conversation where people are arguing about is desert their best word or is wilderness. And one guy was from Kentucky and argued that wilderness is absolutely not the correct word because in his experience, wilderness meant like a forested area. Oh. Because that's the wilderness of Kentucky is forest. And to him, that's what the word meant. And he was adamant that like, no, we can't use that word here. That's not faithful to what this is talking about. And it's not that. And so that's hard because we come with our like, everybody so there's no way that i can do it in a way that's going to convey in even what i'm thinking to someone else reading it let alone what matthew or paul or luke were thinking yeah to who's reading it now because words mean different things to different people and that's certainly even more true over from one language to another and one millennium to another and halfway around the world to the other half of the world. Like it's, it's just, it's impossible. Like that's not, 
there's no such thing as the best translation. You create meaning in partnership with a whole bunch of people, the original writers, the, the current le- less readers and listeners, like it, language is about communication and relationship. And it's, that's a ongoing mm-hmm. living process. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a, such a contrast to this sort of win lose, like ultimate, like alpha. There's no alpha translation. Mm-mm. There's only an aspiration to faithful communication and communion. Mm-hmm. All discovery, all knowing. One of my favorite, my favorite philosopher, Esther Meek, says, you know, all knowing is knowing for shalom. Mm. Everything is for communion ultimately and that's how communication here works yeah you're you're trying to help people have better communion with the saints across the ages with the the namely the ones who wrote these things (laughs) Mm -hmm. and 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 get any of the obstacles out of the way that may inhibit that yeah yeah that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I, and I know I have biases and assumptions that are going, that are influencing. And it's sometimes I'm aware of them and like, there's a choice that I have to make and it's two equally good translations that I like, and there's probably more than two, you know, there's probably mm-hmm. a dozen at least, but I'm, I'm aware of, I can see two clearly. And one that I yeah. think reflects well in the whole context of scripture how i understand it and one that doesn't and i make that choice based on the one that i think reflects how i understand scripture and i'm i know that i'm doing that and every translator is doing that there's there's no way not to do that you you have to because again that's not language doesn't work like a code so you have to make choices and you have to have something to make the choices on that's more than just the words in front of you and I try to do that the best I can based on the context of that chapter, that book, the whole Bible as a whole. But of course, that's influenced by the teachers that I've learned from and the books that I've read and the people that I have helped me grow and the way that I see things and therefore how I understand that context. So let's talk about some of the commitments you had in this project. I think one of the big ones that we're going to be coming back to pretty regularly is refusing to use religious technical terms. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. That comes from a, just like a conversation we were having before we even started making this, these recordings, like me trying to put in, into words, like, what am I doing here? And so that religious technical terms is something that we have been using to talk about that. And it's not that they're wrong necessarily. It's just that they have become, for anybody who's watched Ted Lasso, <laughs> in season one, they talk about what it's semantic satiation, I think yes. is the term. Yeah. Where you say a word enough times and it loses meaning. Uh, it's like word becomes a sound. A word becomes a sound. That's how they put it. Yep. And that can happen with anything. It can happen with my name if I say it enough times or your Brandon. name, which happens to be Brandon. the same. Brandon, Brandon, which there's a high chance of that happening with both of us being named Brandon. <laughs> but yeah, words like holy or sin or righteous, like sanctification, these, justification, like words that people don't really use. 
Yeah. Yeah. Especially the ones that, which is most of them that are not part of normal conversational language that are only ever used in a religious context. I want this, the Bible is supposed to be accessible. It was written for normal people, not clergy. Right. So it, it's supposed, it uses words that in Greek and Hebrew were just regular vocabulary um, for the general population, but they have like got put into English as the, these technical terms, these, this jargon, this, like, I remember calling it growing up, like uh, churchy Christianese. There we go. It's this language that only we understand because it just gets used every week in this context. And that's not helpful to anybody, not to people who might be interested, but don't know what the heck we're talking about. Or for those of us who have grown up in it and had these words like holy just used so many times that we gloss over it without even think stopping to yeah. think, what does that actually mean? And then we we do a couple other things. One is kind of thinking of it as like a static when we when you use the word like technical, religious technical terms, mm-hmm. every time I see the word sin, it means a moral, a, a precise moral act that violates an eternal law book of the divine or is a cosmic force bending us supernaturally towards destruction or something. It's like, well, I mean, there's like refractions of each of of those, of parts of those that are all like, okay, kind of maybe, Mm -hmm. but because we, as the longer time you've spent and the earlier in your life, you've spent in conversation with these books and in community around them, the more they just become these technical words. And it's, I mean, the reality is there's several words in Greek that get translated as sin Mm -hmm. and they are, and And, and they should be used differently. And, and none of them are, in the original context were words that people understood as bad behavior. Like that was like the definition if they had a Greek dictionary, mm-hmm. they're all metaphors. Like the one that we sometimes see as transgression is literally to fall to the side. The one that we know as most commonly is just always translated as sin. Hamartia is literally to like miss the target, miss the bullseye on a target in archery. Like, mm-hmm. The, there was no actual word that meant sin per se in Greek or Hebrew. The, the, the common metaphors in Hebrew were debt and burden. There was nothing that meant like disappointing God because you've behaved badly and disobeyed commands. Mm-hmm. There is no word for that in Greek or Hebrew, but we have one in English. It's called sin. And <laughs> why we think that's a good equivalent for missing the mark or debt or burden. I, I'm not, there's a history to that, but it doesn't really make sense in a direct line. Yeah. So you're going to, we're going to see as we proceed through these translations, sometimes a consistent translation, like Hamartia, the archery metaphor of missing the mark. You're going to typically translate that as deviation, mm-hmm. not uniformly, but typically yeah, kind of going off course, deviating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And sometimes that will change a certain intimacy or familiarity we may have with the text. The Lord's yeah. prayer would be, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Our Father. That's going to be an the way example. We've memorized it. Yeah. And not even not even close at times. So one of the one of the commitments that other translators have, it's a great commitment, honestly. Or speaking for myself, mm-hmm. is these are this is literature that's meant to be read aloud as a community. So there's what's called a liturgical use of the text, a reading aloud in a sacred space and time of the sacred text. And so there's a commitment to be try to be faithful and familiar to preceding enunciations, preceding translations of the text. Mm-hmm. So we may not want to translate it like when we get to Matthew, what is it, six? Yep. With the Our Father, it's not going to be the Our Father. It's or the Lord's be some, Prayer for you Protestants. That's it. That's it. It's going to be your attempt to get the familiarity that actually produces alienation, that inhibits communion and shalom, out of the way. Like it's a, it's a necessary violence, and so you know this this translation may not be the best. It, it may not be the best one for a liturgical reading. There are plenty of times where I think it is, but it's just not going to be that familiar. Yeah, which m- maybe a final version of it might clean it up in a way that makes it more friendly to an oral reading. I, I am not at all motivated to conform to what's familiar. And that it gets rough when we're reciting things because we have a lot of times we have things memorized from repetition. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's what you're saying. I have this urge to translate what you're saying. Dial it back, translator. Yeah, there's a sense that in which conforming to what's familiar actually keeps us farther away from what it's saying, I think, from really understanding it. One, because there's been a repetition in how things have been worded that is there only because that's how it was said before in English and not because it's uh, faithful to the Greek. And I want to be faithful to the Greek. A good example of Hebrew Bible version of that, like example of that is the Red Sea, like the crossing of the Red Sea that Moses and the Israelites did is not the Red Sea that we know today as the Red Sea. Uh, It's the Sea of Reeds. And any Bible scholar will acknowledge that this is not a controversial. Every single Bible scholar knows this is true. It's not the Red Sea, but we keep translating it as the Red Sea because no one will buy Bibles where it doesn't call it the Red Sea. And so there's a commercialism that goes into how things are translated. And since I'm not trying to make money on this, I'm not trying to sell this. I can, my commitment is to giving to my kids something that means what it actually means Mm -hmm. i can do what i think it actually is yeah and and we can share that with whoever is interested Mm -hmm. let's see a couple other commitments inherently closed off words yeah what we're talking about there is there's a there's a really dare i say judgmental tradition in translating Mm -hmm. in english there's so many of these words that can be translated a number of different ways, but that we have this tradition of translating them in a really 
moralistic judgmental way, which may not actually have been as judgmental originally because the language English as a language has changed in the last hundred years, several hundred years. So for instance, evil in the King James over 400 years ago now didn't, the only definition of that wasn't like morally bad. Someone doing wrong things that are morally wrong that deserve punishment. But that's the only meaning of it that anyone thinks of now. It, it meant like hardship a lot of the time. Like there's, the, there's a phrase that occurs in the King James of like evil befell you, meaning like hard times happened to you, right? Yeah, not um, like a malicious force or entity has caused hardships. Yeah. Yeah, wickedness. Like, but we still translate that word evil even though the english meaning of the word evil has shifted and it has shifted into something that i don't think is faithful to the greek so and and that's also something you just don't want your it has the double effect of like yeah like that can really lend itself to shame language Mm -hmm. and a shame interpretation which is just one of the core things those of us living honestly outside on the far side of evangelicalism are having to recover from is the yeah. degree to which ev- I mean, so many wings of the which, Christian tradition are emphasized shame. Yeah. And, and this, and my shift is not to say that everything's relative and nothing is bad and nothing no. is good. And like, no, yeah, things are, uh, there are pro- things that are problems. Like there are things that cause harm. And that's the core of what I think the word that gets translated as evil means is that something that causes harm or hardship, something that's oppressive. And I try to translate it to reflect that, but I have intentionally chosen not to use the word evil, not to use the word bad. And you see that show up in Matthew six with the lamp of the, but eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is bad, that so I don't use bad there. Mm-hmm. But I go into, but I'm not making stuff up either. Like so unhealthy or whatever. It diseased is in the options in the lexicon in the dictionary of Greek, mm-hmm. the Greek English. Like what can this mean? So I'm just trying to be more specific than bad. Yeah. Based on the context. Yeah. And same with good. I, I almost never, there is a couple of exceptions, use the word good, again, not because it's wrong, but because we understand that in our modern English ears to be this really moralistic, judgmental kind of mm-hmm. meaning. So I try to get more specific. What kind of good are we talking about here based on the context and use that word instead? And then the last thing that I've gathered in our conversations, the last commitment is something to the effect of this translation being accessible to both the Bible literate, which I think is probably going to be most people listening to this. Like this is going to be, it's going to be a nerdy ass podcast. So both the Bible literate and folks who are just newer to the Bible. And I I really, you're all welcome by the way, whoever is listening to this. Yeah. I really hope that's the case because I think this is for me, it's, you know, we've already recorded quite a few episodes before doing this one here today. So much of what I've enjoyed is, finding new layers of 
meaning and homecoming in some sense with the Bible after, mm -hmm. you know, almost 40 years with this book to find new yeah. layers of beauty often by just doing those preceding commitments of religious technical terms and mm -hmm. inherently closed off words. Yeah. The I have found a bunch ahead. of new stuff, like oh, man. nine years, nine years of, of scholarly undergraduate and graduate level study and studying books, reading, talking with people, learning in the meantime, right? And doing this project, every single chapter, it feels like I'm learning something that I did not know. Mm -hmm. Be just by virtue of slowing down and looking at it carefully the way I'm doing, having to do to translate it, let alone like noticing things in the original language that I can't see because of the, normally reading it in English. And I think that's really the journey that we are hoping you all are going to be joining us on. Whether the Christian scriptures are new to you or very familiar, whether you have a affectionate, contested, or antagonistic relationship with them, that's mm -hmm. great. Holy yeah. God, that's fantastic. Join you're welcome along. here if your your joy is in like disproving the Bible. Like, awesome. Let's yeah. talk. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. This is an engagement with sacred literature between two people who are appreciative practitioners of the tradition that that sits near the middle of. God, that's a yeah. nerdy way of saying we're Christians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we, both we, people we, we're, who are committed to following the path of Jesus and 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 really respect Jesus. Yeah, this and, is not. And a, you this might is say, not... and you might say it differently. Well, we're, we're and not just, we, yeah. and we acknowledge that hmm. those who share our affinity have caused a lot of harm, including us, probably. Like, oh, I mean, not not I've probably. I can think of Jesus. I can think of examples <laughs> yeah. of myself causing harm to other people. Yeah. But even bigger than us, the tradition as a whole has harmed people. And knowing that, we still think it's worth continuing. And honor you if you don't. Mm -hmm. um, and in that regard, really talking about it. Yeah. And that makes this a, for me, this project is a form of repentance, of recognizing harm that my certainty and previous understandings and enunciations of the sacred text have brought to other people. So this is a working out of our faith with fear and trembling. So there's a few other things that I would love for you all to know about this show. First, we want you to be part of it. Of course, it begins with being able to read Brandon's translation online. There's going to be a link in the show notes for you to be able to read his translation. But for listeners who have found the show helpful or like what we're doing or just want to show some support to something this friggin' nerdy, they're able to support the show for as little as $5 a month. Everyone who does that gets to actually dialogue about the translation with each of us and other listeners by getting comment access to the translation's online presence. So yeah, we want this to, you to be part of this. Second thing, we want to break up the chapter-by-chapter -chapter conversations periodically by bringing on guests so that way you get to hear from somebody who isn't named Brandon. 
to talk about, well, Brandon's translation. There's that semantic mm-hmm. satiation, man. Yeah. That's- Brandon, you're, you're saying Brandon too much. We want to have people on to talk about the peculiarities of the Bible and how it gets, how it's been translated over the years, all kinds of things like that. Matters of language and communication. If you were curious about when we were riffing on the nature of communication and language, tell us, because that's something that we'd love to get to sooner than later. We want to talk to people about how a person's spiritual growth can change how they approach a sacred text mm-hmm. and how changes in the sacred text may influence someone's spiritual health, how full, fully human they can be. There's just so many ways that we can go when we get to talk to somebody not named Brandon. <laughs> third thing. So third thing, some of these conversations were recorded, you know, a few weeks before they air, and therefore some changes might take place in the translation. I'll try to catch them in the editing process, but we might be talking giddily about a particular word that he chose that Actually, our conversation or further reflection or further translation resulted in Brandon changing it. So the Bible is part of a living tradition, and so is Brandon's translation. Fourth thing, I'm going to be offering reflections from each chapter every week on my other podcast, Lectio Cascadia. Some of you have already listened to that. I've been taking, what, almost eight months now of a break from that show, but I'm bringing it back to have a bit more of a intimate engagement with the book of Matthew as we work our way through this show. So if you're interested in that, check out Lectio Cascadia for little 20 minute or so reflections based on, well, some of Brandon's translations. Well, that about wraps it up this week. We're both really glad that you're joining us for this journey. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show and know how awesome others find it. Second best way to support the show, yeah, I told you earlier, become a sponsor. You can do that for just $5 a month. And when you do that, you get comment access on the translations online presence where you can be engaging each of us and other listeners. You also get with those $5, the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Founding translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook land. Say goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, Brandon.